Amen. Well, guys, we hope you have a Bible this morning, and if you do, would you grab hold of that and make your way to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. That's where we're going to be this morning as we continue a verse-by-verse study in the book of 2 Corinthians. We are picking up where we left off, and we are inviting you to be a part of that with us this morning. So if, again, you got a Bible and you're making your way to 2 Corinthians 4, there are other options. If you didn't bring a Bible, we've provided some, and the chairs in front of you Uh, There are Bibles. You can grab one of those, page number on the screen. Join us uh, in that. You can use the electronic app if you want to follow along in one of those that has a Bible that you want to follow in that way. We invite you to do that, but one way or another, we're inviting you to have the Word of God in front of you so that God would speak to you through His Word and just the power and the authority that's there. That invitation for everybody here in the sanctuary, that invitation if you're in our overflow or online, Hey, grab a Bible, join us this morning, and let it be that through the Word of God, He would speak to you this morning in a genuine and real way. It's our aim, it's what we're wanting to do right now, and so let's just take another moment, and I want to lead you in prayer, but I'm hoping you would pray, that you would ask God to take His Word and make it just connect to you where you are, that you'd be able to understand that which He has in store for you this morning. So let's go before Him and ask for that right now. Father, we thank You for this moment. We thank you for this space and time. And God, I ask right now that you would just be with each and every one of us, that you would give us favor and help. You would grant us the ability. You would give us ears to hear uh, what you would say to us this morning. That you grant us just help in that regard. And Lord, you know us. You know where we are. You know what we need. God, I just ask that you would open that up to us, that you would just take your truth and connect it right to where we are in your favor, in your work, by, by, your, by just your power. Would you work that here? Give us ears to hear what you're saying to us, and may it work into us that which you have. We ask for that now, and we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I would like you to imagine for a moment that you are standing in absolute pitch darkness. Maybe you can imagine, maybe you've been there. There you are. It's in these spaces. You can't see anything in front of your face. That moment where everything is so dark that just because it's dark, it feels in many ways almost cold and fearful. That kind of place because you can't see anything that's taking place in front of you. You have no idea that, that what's there. And as you're standing there in that pitch darkness, why don't you just imagine an explosion of light? I mean, there in the darkness, a light just floods into the scene. And in that moment when light pierces the darkness, everything changes. Fear gives way to hope. Coldness gives way to, to warmth and life as it just floods everything and brings everything into that place. It's an incredible kind of a moment. Lots of spaces that's found, but one of the spaces where that takes place is where the gospel of Christ enters a heart, and that place where darkness is shattered by light is exactly what happens. Hey, this morning, we want to work through our section, and I want to hold out to you phrases in the midst of it, but maybe one of the phrases we want to wrap our minds around is the one that's found in the middle of verse 4. I'll just put it up on the screen as we begin, where it's going to describe the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ. I just want you to hear that. I mean, those words, I mean, just to land on us this morning, the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ. And in this section, he's going to unpack that for us. If I could do nothing more than draw your attention to the words, I mean, the well-articulated, just emphasized words that are in this text, I know it would go well for us this morning. And yet, that's exactly what we're going to want to understand. We're going to talk about the gospel. We're going to talk about what it is. But it might be even helpful for me just to begin by saying this. Hey, the gospel is amazing and powerful. It is much bigger than what we're going to accomplish this morning. When we talk about the gospel this morning, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, this glorious gospel, 
it encompasses the entire message of the Bible. Everything in here flows to this that points its place here. So there's no way that we're going to accomplish all of it. But we do want to see how this text kind of leans light and, and clarity into that. So I'll tell you what, let's read the whole section we're going to talk about this morning. And then we'll come back and do our way working through it and defining it. Begin with me there, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It begins in verse 3. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest, notice here it is, the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Wow. I don't know how that lands for you as we begin working through there. I just want to tell you, it's one of those sections that I could just walk through and go, wow. I mean, it's just so well worded. I mean, just to see it, to feel it, it would be transformative in that. And yet we want to do our best just to walk around it for a moment. So he's going to give us some different perspectives, but we want to begin with just trying to define it. So maybe we'll even just define uh, just this definition out of verse four, where it's the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So quick insights there that are, again, bigger than everything that we could possibly go through. It probably is good just to begin with the defining of the word gospel. The word gospel literally means good news, that which brings good news. In fact, when the Bible talks about the gospel, it talks about the good news that would bring salvation, that that's how it works. Paul would say it this way in the book of Romans, it says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. This is the gospel. The gospel of Christ it is the power of God that brings salvation. It's the only way that people are saved. It's the only way that that's accomplished. And yet Paul says it's so glorious, so much so, that he says, hey, I'm not ashamed of it, which is kind of the way of saying anything but. And like, I'm so excited about it. I'm so excited for the gospel because this is what saves people. This is what brings in salvation. That's the gospel. Now, it's worth noting, it's the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, or it's said it the same way in Romans 1 there, it's the gospel of Christ, that the message of the gospel, it is the message about Jesus. It's the message of what that is. It's Jesus Christ. It's, it's who he is. It's his death. It's his resurrection. In fact, it gives it to us this way in 1 Corinthians 15. It says, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, which I preached to you, which you also received, and in which you stand, by which you are saved. He says, I don't tell you the gospel. I want to tell you about the gospel. This is the gospel that if you're a follower of Jesus, this is how you are saved. And then he unpacks what it is. He tells us what the gospel is. He says, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. In the most simple way, he says, hey, here's what the gospel is. This is the gospel. The gospel is Christ. It's what he has done. It's his death that Jesus came and died for us, literally died, was buried, and rose again. The gospel is the message of that, the message of the cross, the message of the resurrection, the message that we just sang about a moment ago, that because he lives, we can have hope. That's the gospel. The gospel is that. It is absolutely that. In fact, as we think about that, it's even helpful as Paul is kind of just unpacking this here. He just reminds us, hey, that's what we're preaching. We are not preaching ourselves. We're not telling people, hey, we're good or we're the amazing thing. We're not even preaching the church. We're not preaching who we are. Notice as he tells us that, that in verse 5. It says, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus, the Lord, and ourselves bondservants for your sake. This is our message. It's not us. 
Not, it's, we're not telling people, hey, we're good people. No, it's the absolutely opposite of that. We're not preaching ourselves. It's Christ we're preaching. It's him that we're focused on, that he's the message, that it's about him, it's for him, it's by him, it's of him. In fact, again, I just like the way it says it. We preach Christ Jesus the Lord. That's the gospel. The gospel is about Jesus, specifically his death and resurrection. That's the message that is needing to be heard across the world. It's not, you know, some kind of scaled-down version of that, like, you know, you just got to love people, or we just got to be nice to everybody. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. Those are things the love of God that's in us can point to it, but the gospel is Christ. It's his death and his resurrection. It's what he has accomplished, because that changes absolutely everything. It's the gospel. Now, as he tries to just help us get there, he tosses in this amazingly deep kind of just instruction. In fact, notice it with me in the middle of verse 4 there as we see that phrase. He says, lest the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is, notice, the image of God, should shine on them. So this gospel of Christ, it is Christ who is the image of God. Now, hands down, just got to be honest, this is like one of those really, really big understandings. It's vast, it's deep, it's got so much there, theologically just wonderful, no way we're going to accomplish it, but it's enough for us to step close to it and say, okay, what are we saying when we say that Jesus is the image of God? The idea is not that he just gives us a picture of God. The idea when you say the image of God is that he is God. It's the idea that, it, that he himself is that, but more than that, by using the phrase image, it's the idea that he is a God that now we can see. Hey, think about it this way. When the Bible would unpack it, Colossians would say it this way. He, speaking of Jesus, is the image, that's our word again, of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, the God who could not be seen, the invisible God has been made visible in Christ, that he's the one that does that. John would tell it to us this way in the gospel, no one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. So here's the thing, like nobody could see God, like nobody could have any space there, but, but Jesus has been the one that He has come in and helped us to see that. We think about it, how it says in Hebrews, that Jesus who is the brightness of His glory and again the express image of of his person, that we think about what that looks like, that we says, okay, here's this space that, that Jesus is this one who is the exact, I mean, he expressly brings God before us in that way. One of the followers of Jesus, um, Philip, came and asked Jesus, hey, if you could just show us the Father, that would be, that'd be enough, that would be enough. And Jesus just asked him, hey, Philip, how long have I been with you? He simply says, hey, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. Like, I am. I am God. And if you can see it, I, I am the one who's fully brought that into bear. Now, again, much in this incredible reality. Certainly, as we think about this, we talk about things of the Trinity. We talk about how Jesus himself is God. Then we think about how we have God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit. Not three different gods, one God. And yet, distinct in their personalities, distinct in their ways, impossible for us to wrap our minds around, good for us to understand. Things that are there are laid there, but let's take it a little bit more practical. By laying this here to us and telling us that there, there is this, when we think about the gospel, we think about the gospel of Jesus Christ, understand this. This is God himself. This is what God himself has done for us. The gospel is nothing less than that. It is nothing less than the incredible work of God himself becoming flesh, dying on the cross, rising from the grave. I mean, he is not just, you know, serving that. He is, the, he is very God. He is God himself that just made clear and doing this whole work, bringing us into that incredible reality. We think about everything that that is. We think about everything that that, that would be in the midst of it. And we, and we love that in that sense, he's inviting us to see all that that is. So the light of the gospel 
of the glory of Christ. It is glorious. I recognize there's probably no way that I'm fully going to get close to helping you see this, but as much as I can, I want you just to hear the word glory and hear amazing, beautiful, far beyond your imagination, glorious, I mean good, I mean wow kind of deal. That's the thing. He says, if you could see it, this is so glorious. This is what God has done for us. It is this place where beauty and perfection and honor and splendor and praise is all poured out into this space because he is amazing. And as he helps us to see that, he lets us know, hey, that's the light. That's the light. He says it's the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ that's shining. That's the light that pierces the darkness. That's the light that brings hope. That's the light that is shining. That's the light that would be there in the midst of this. That's the light that would bring everything that would be a part of this. That's the light that, that we just thought about a moment ago when we talked about that idea of being in the darkness and that light just absolutely shattering that darkness. It's an amazing reality. It's an amazing reality, and again, it's worth us just pausing and saying, okay, that's what we're getting to talk about. Now, make no mistake, if you're paying attention to the words, not only are these amazing words of the light, the gospel, the glory of Christ, just impacting upon things that that would have there for us, notice that he's describing it not as, you know, one thing, but the only one, that he uses the word, it's the gospel, the image of God the glory, the light. That's what we're talking about. It is this reality that when we think about everything that's here, it's not just that we we think about the gospel as one nicety in the midst of a broken world, as if we could say, hey, there's many gospels. There aren't. There's one gospel. There's one gospel. And and there's only one hope. There's only one place where this light is found. Jesus would say it this way. In John 8, Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Hear Christ. Hear Jesus speak it. And authoritatively, rightly so. And don't miss the wording. I am, he says, the light of the world. He's not a light. He's not, hey, I'm one of the lights, you know, there's one, you know, one of the, he's just like, I'm it. I'm the only light, not just for Israel, not just for America, for the world. Like, this is the only hope in the world. This is the only hope in the whole space, and Jesus says, I am it. Now, remember that, because we're going to come back and refer to this in a little bit, that when Jesus says this, he is genuinely saying it. He is the light. And that's the gospel. The gospel is this representation. It is this place of saying, hey, this is what we're talking about. This glorious gospel that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And again, just so well put before us. Much more we could say about that. I feel like in some ways we just scratched the surface, but if I've done nothing but help you see these words, you know what we're talking about. In the midst of this, he wants to show us three things. Three things that are, you know, interplaying around this idea of the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ that you and I are meant to understand, that you and I are meant to say, okay, I I see what's taking place. I see what this is, and I see how these other things are kind of playing into that and making sure that we see what that is. And so that's what we're going to see in our section here as we're looking at it, and it begins by just reminding us that we have an enemy. We have an enemy, and he is seeking to obscure this light. Hey, go back and notice it. That's where we started, verse 3 and verse 4. It says, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, uh, who is the image of God, should shine on them. This amazing light of the gospel, this amazing gospel light that is the only hope for the world, he says, we have an enemy. 
is seeking to make it so that people don't see that, who, whose, li- whose eyes are being veiled by that. Satan is so indescribed here and throughout the Bible that he is called the God of this age. And it's a well-articulated phrase, and we ought to just walk around it for a moment. Please don't misunderstand this. If you take this wrongly or you hear me wrongly, you will almost get, you'll give Satan more credit than he's due. There's not a sense that the Bible holds you know, God and Satan as polar opposites, you know, that, you know, that somehow they are at war as if there were some kind of contest. God is God. He is the only God. He is God who created everything, and he created Satan. Satan's an angel. He's, he's an angel that was one of, one of God's presence angels, and he fell and rebelled. And in his rebellion, it has permeated the world, and in his rebellion, he's still doing that. But his influence is limited. We know how it ends. We get to read in the, the book of Revelation that Jesus is coming back and Satan's going to be defeated in a moment. He's going to be cast into hell. There is no kind of, you know, like, okay, you know, like, they're, you know, as if somehow they're opposites. They're not that. Nevertheless, Satan is articulated as the God of this age, that he is the one who is, in that sense, influencing this age well. Let me just give you a couple other verses that say the same thing. Ephesians 2 speaking to those of us who are followers of Jesus, you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, a description of Satan, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves. Satan is at work in our world, and he is at work influencing people who are, who are fallen. He says, we were all there. That's where we lived. And he was the one who was working among the sons of disobedience. First John says it really, really well. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Hey, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian here this morning, hey, this is true of you. You and I, we, we belong to God. Like, we're of God, but this world and everything in this world, Satan is at work, and it lies under his sway. It lies under his influence, which is exactly what we're being reminded of here. Dave Guzik says it well in his commentary. He says, there's a significant and real sense in which Satan rules this world, not in an ultimate sense, because the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness and the world and all those who dwell therein. There's a sense that the Bible helps us understand that Satan's influence is massive. But God's God. I mean, God is the only God. He's the sovereign God. Yet Jesus, he goes on to say, did not contest Satan's claim to rule over this present age because there is, in a sense, in which Satan is the popularly elected ruler of this age. True story. Yeah, that's where we live. We live in a world that the world and its rebellion, turning away from God, is listening to the devil. And in so doing, he has become that source of influence into our world. Now, you and I are being invited to see that because, again, it's telling us what he's doing. Again, you just notice it there. Verse 3, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Yet Satan is working to blind people's eyes. He is seeking to veil, blind them from seeing Jesus. Now, let's be kind of careful with this, and I want to just try to say this right and, and clear in the way it kind of unpacks. When it says that Satan blinds us, blinds people, it's not something that he has the power to do inside of them. It's not some intrinsic uh, p- blinding that's doing it. The wording in the Greek is really, really clear. It has the idea of hindering, throwing a veil over somebody's eyes, making it so that they don't see it. It's as if the light outside is shining, you know, full-on, you know, daylight, but he throws shade. He throws, you know, hindrances so you don't see it, so you can be caught in the darkness even though the light is shining. Now, you guys know how that works, right? I mean, uh, you know, we have enough windows in here. It wouldn't work right now, but if it did, we could do it, right? We could turn off all the lights right now, and it would be pitch black in here. And it would be pitch black in here because... Boy, we, we have things that are blocking the light. We have things that are covering the light, but the light's still shining. The light is, you know, beautiful in the heavens. The, the sun is, is, is clearly there, but what's happening right here is a blindness that's hindering people from seeing that which is so present, which is exactly what it's describing for us here. How does he do that? 
How does he blind people? Well, it actually told us, go back and see it. Verse 3, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe. So this is those who are dying, who are perishing, who don't believe in Jesus. He blinds them by influencing the way that they think. He says, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. So Satan's blinding has this idea of influencing the way that people think, influencing thoughts. Now, this is incredibly powerful, and it is so helpful, so helpful. In fact, there's so much we could talk about. We'll talk about it in other ways later in 2 Corinthians, but I just want to communicate it as simply as I can. Sometimes people give Satan too much credit, as if he was powerful to create things that he cannot create. And they sometimes think about Satan's work, and they'll think about it almost like, I don't know, voodoo, you know, kind of thing, as if he's got some doll, you know, of you, and is poking pens, and he has somehow control over who you are. He does not. Satan's influence is because he's a liar. He's a liar since the beginning of time. He's, he's a liar, and he's a deceiver, and his influence into our world, and his influence that would seek to influence you, is to influence the way you, you think. It's a battle for our minds. It's a battle for our thoughts. It's a battle for the way we, we perceive reality. And he knows it. And he's fighting that battle. Think about it again in the verse that we just saw. We know that we are of God. And the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Do you really understand how real that is? Maybe you do. I, I know I'm looking at it, somebody is like, Jim, I know this, like, this is, I know this, but here's kind of the thing. For many of us, we know it, but we don't know it. We know it because it says it, but somehow we just don't actually know it in the world in which we live. But I want you to just pause and think about it with me for a few moments. Can you feel it? Can you feel the darkness that's in our world? Here's what I know. Most of you this morning, if I were to sit down with you and talk with you, you would say, yes, I can feel it. It, it, it feels oppressive. You know, I, 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 I hear it happening in our world. I can feel it. I, I know you hear things happening, you know, in college campuses. You hear things happening in, in, in public schools even now, indoctrination and lies and thoughts. And, and you can feel the darkness that sometimes presses into those places. Some of you can feel it in the midst of the news. You know, and so I, I know for many of you here this morning, it's like, man, I can't even watch the news anymore. It's like I can only handle like, you know, very sporadic. I mean, if I've heard that once, I've heard it a thousand times. It's like, man, it just feels so dark. Some of you can feel it in the culture, and you can feel it in the media, and you can feel it in our world, and you can feel the darkness, but here's kind of the simple reality. Sometimes, though we know better, we fail to actually recognize the real source of the darkness. See, I know for people in first service, you guys are good, you guys are good. So people in first service, uh, there are, were some of them who have a propensity of looking at our world and casting the blame somewhere else. Sometimes people look at the brokenness in our world and they're like, man, it's, it's politics. It's all the Democratic Party. If we could just fix that, it would change darkness into light. I mean, if we could do that. And then there are others like, no, no, it's the power of the media. Like the media is so powerful. If we could, ju if we could just get truth media, that would just change everything because the media is so bad. It's the government or it's, or it's political powers behind it. It's, you know, it's political action committees. It's, it's George Soros, you know, kind of deal in the midst of this whole world. Or maybe, maybe it's some, you know, kind of hidden, you know, kind of, you know, just hidden people that are controlling the world. And I just want to tell you, wherever those things are true, they're but pawns. They're but pawns because we know who our real enemy is, and we know the one who's playing the game in the world. We know that our world right now is under his influence, and all of it, the whole world lies under that sway. So it's not surprising to us, or it shouldn't be surprising to us. We shouldn't be like, man, I don't even know why. I don't know why sometimes it just seems like it's so evil. I don't know why sometimes there are things there. Like, I just thought it would be, you no, know, it's like, well, why didn't you know why? The whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one, but hear it as clear as it can. What's the agenda? 
He is trying to blind people from seeing Jesus. It's about the gospel. It's about the gospel. That's what he's, he, he's doing. Now, he's working through people, through pawns, and let's just be clear, for many of those pawns, they probably have no idea. They probably have no idea what Satan's really trying to do. They, you know, for them, maybe they really are trying to push their new age agenda or their, or their different kind of cultural ideas upon the world, thinking that that's really a good thing, thinking that's the real motivation. But Satan's wiser than that, but he's after one thing. He's against Christ. It's about the gospel. And our world might not understand that, but you can. You can look and say, okay, here's the thing. The light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, that's the thing that's changing everything today. There is nothing bigger than that in our world today. I don't know what you think is influencing in our world today. Maybe you're you know, following everything in Russia right now, and you're watching kind of the you know, power play with, with, with Putin over there, or maybe you're watching Ukraine, or maybe you're you know, really, really worked up over what's happening in, our, in, in Mexico right now. Not bad to notice any of those things. But if you think that those are really kind of the big deals, they're not. Give us just a little bit of time and all of this is going away. Nations are going away. Powers are going away. And what's the most important reality in our world today is the gospel. The, the, the single greatest battle that has the greatest impact for all eternity is the gospel today. Where the gospel is moving forward today eternal victories are happening, and where it's being blinded, eternal losses are being felt. There's nothing bigger than that, and, and there's just a sense that you're being reminded, like, of course I get it. I know I live in a world that Satan is blinding. This is his aim. This is his agenda. So yes, it's happening in schools. Yes, it's happening on college campuses. Yes, it's happening in the media, but sometimes, again, it just make sure you understand, hey, it's about people not, you know, trying to keep people from seeing Jesus. Hey, before I move past this, maybe you're here. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe God is seeking to work into your life, and today, that's the battle. Like right now, it's a battle of, 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 of worldview. It's a battle of right and wrong, and you're like, ah, you know, if, if, if Jesus is right, this is, but if, there's so many other things, and you could feel it, and I'm just telling you, he's doing everything he can to blind you, and if that all by itself could be something that would wake you up, like, why doesn't he want me to see it, you know? Why is he trying to, you know, trap me indoors and not invite me out to see the light? You know, I mean, I, I mean go out and see the light. I just invite you into, into that reality of, uh, of just being able to, to see all that's there. Well, much more we could say there, but I need to leave that. So Satan's obscuring that light. That's true in our world today, and our text is drawing this out. But maybe one of the key thoughts that's actually been building and will continue building through this chapter is a reminder of what our part to play in that is. That the church, who we are in Christ, hey, in this world, we are meant to be reflecting that light. Let's go back and read it in the section, and I want you to kind of make that focus you're, you're with me in it. So join me back there in 2 Corinthians. Let's go back to the end of chapter 3 and notice where we were in verse 18. But we all, the we all is all Christians, like all of us who are followers of Jesus, but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Pause and make sure you get it. It says, here's what's happening. Here's who you are in Christ. What God has designed you to be is you to see the glory of God in the face of Christ. They were drawn into a relationship with Jesus and a continuing relationship with Jesus that changes us, that transforms us in a way that that, that would be happening so that people could see it. That's where it picks up in verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, since we have this ministry, this ministry of reflecting Christ, of shining Christ into our world, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. Good news for us. We don't deserve it, but he's doing it in us. Verse 2, but we've renounced the things of hidden shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every, or to every man's conscience in the sight of God. He says, but we're not trying to pretend or be stuff we're not. We're just trying to say, hey, here's who we are. Here's what Christ has done in us. We just want to shine that light. But 
verse 3, if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. I do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness, who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. That is just so well worded. That here's what he's doing. He is shining in our hearts. The light is shining upon us so that we would know it, and yet that light would be so reflected. Jesus would say it this way. Speaking to his followers, he says, you are the light of the world. True. But we understand its trueness, right? Because we can understand the whole of Scripture. We see what we just said. When Jesus says we're the light of the world, he's not saying inherently like we are because we have, you know, we're the source of hope. No, that's exactly what we're not. Everything we just have read has said he's the light, but his light shines in us. We've now become that which where the light of Christ is being reflected into the world. So when he talks about us being the light, it's not our light, it's his light. Uh, We are those who are reflecting his light. But don't miss its still singular understanding. Jesus is the light of the world. True. He came, he died, he rose again, and he ascended. And he left you, and he left me here. And in this world, we have the only message of hope in the entire world. We are the light of the world. We are the only light that can be found, the only place where the darkness can be defeated. The the message of Christ is only found in us. There is no other ism. There is no other, you know, philosophy. There is no other religion that, that, that rescues souls. It's only found in us. That when we think about where we are in the world right now, this is one of the reasons we are here is because we've been left into this space where our lives are meant to be reflecting that. Now, Jesus, when he unpacks this for us, he says it this way. He says, you are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Bunch of cool things there, but let's say it simply. You're the light of the world, and that light actually cannot be hidden. If you're really his, it will always shine. Nevertheless, it shouldn't be hidden. It can't be hidden. It shouldn't be hidden. Yeah, if you're going to put light into a room, you put it up on a lampstand. So it'll cast as much light around the house as it possibly can. He says, that's you. you. You can't totally hide that light, but you should intentionally put the light as visible as it possibly can. You, you, you want to shine that. You want to do that. Jesus goes on to say, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Wow. Simple, powerful, very, very real. Maybe you already knew it, but sometimes we need to know the things that we know, and sometimes it's just a reminder that, of course, the world is broken, and of course, they don't have the answers. Of course, it's all going against Christ. That's exactly what the Bible says, but we have the message. We have Christ. We are the place where that is supposed to be being known, where it can be known. In that, he gives us one more nugget that's worth us just thinking through, and it's found there in verse 6, where it has, reads it this way. We've read it a couple times, but notice it again. Verse 6, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Hey, God himself is the God who's commanded this. Now, there's a couple aspects of this that's worth your understanding. For starters, this was his plan. I mean, when he unpacks it this way in this verse, he's saying this is the God who did it, who's doing that in us, who is shining in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of, of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is his plan. This is his plan for the world. 
This is his, hey, this is how we're doing this. This is where we're going forward. And so there's a sense of understanding this is his design, and it's a good design. It's a right place for us to get there. There's also an element of just God himself at work in it, his sovereignty, his power, his command. You probably could feel it, but I want you just to think about it. Because he's referencing something, right? When he says, when it's the God who commanded light to shine in the darkness, it's a reference. It's a reference to Genesis chapter 1, verse 3. Most of you know it when you see it there at the very beginning of time, when it says that God said, let there be light. And there was light. And there was light. We tried to imagine it, right, just a few moments ago. Absolute darkness. Absolute darkness permeating everything, seeing nothing. And then God spoke it. And when he spoke it, light happened. And it changed. Light penetrated that darkness and it happened in a moment. It happened because he said it, because he spoke it, because he's a God who's doing that. And without a doubt, there's an element of that that's in this moment, that this is God who's commanding this, that this is God who is speaking this. This is God who is working this in this moment, and the Bible lays that out. Now, let me just kind of pause and say this, and if I'm not careful, it's going to go wrong. It'll probably still go wrong, but I'm going to give it a shot. Here's what I know. In this room right now, we have people that lean differently theologically, who see life differently, sometimes some really very, very comfortable with the sovereignty of God, some very, very comfortable with the responsibility of man. And and here's the thing. They're both true. In fact, they're both found all the way through the scripture. And here's one of those beautiful places where they're found side by side. Now, no matter what I do, I know that some of you are very comfortable with the sovereignty of God. You're going to be like, see, there it is right there. You know, God commands it, and he's the one that speaks it. And when he says, let there be light, there is. You're right. You're right. At the same moment, he unpacks, hey, Satan's working to blind. And we get to be those who share the gospel. We are the, we're the hope that people get to believe that there's a full-on responsibility in this. And as simply as I can say it, hey, it's all true. And one of the best places to be biblically is not just landing on one side of this, but all of it. Not just on one side of it, but all of it. So I want you to think about that with me for just a moment. The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. There's nothing bigger than that right now. There's not anything happening anywhere on planet Earth that has more significance than the light of the gospel today. There's not a war taking place. There's not a political ruler. There's not a, you know, you know, scientific design. There's not a AI interface being invented. There's not anything that has even close to this. The single most important and valuable thing happening in our world today is the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ that is shining. And I don't know where you land with that this morning. I don't know where that is. But I'm inviting you to see it and feel it. And if you can see it and feel it, he invites you to from three different quick perspectives. Hey, Satan's at war against this. There's a war. There's a war where Satan himself is trying to keep people from the gospel. That's its aim. That's its aim. It's happening everywhere in our world right now. It should not surprise you. It should not undo you. It should not frustrate you. It should not, I mean, not make you sad, but it's not like you didn't. It's like, of course I knew that was happening. That's the battle. But if you're a follower of Jesus, he's inviting you into that battle that you would reflect that light. How do you do that? Well, that's going back to chapter 3, verse 18. We step towards Christ. We're going to step more towards the image of Christ, and we're going to step in and seek God in Christ and say, God, transform me. Make me a better mirror. Make me a better one that was reflecting Christ everywhere I am because that's the only hope in our dead dead and dying world. Like that is what we need. The the church desperately needs. We are the light in this world. We are meant to reflect Jesus' light. That should be clear. That should be understood. And yet sometimes we just need to know what we know. And like, okay, I knew that. Yeah, Lord, let's do that better. And at the same moment, if you just stopped there, If all you could see that Satan is at work and all that you did was feel our responsibility to make a difference, to be honest, 
it would probably kill some of us. I mean, just the, the, the weight of the spiritual battle, the, the weight of, of our enemy, um, the responsibility to shine, if we didn't go all the way and say, I am so glad God is not sitting on the sidelines. I'm so glad He is commanding it. I'm so glad that He is speaking and calling people out of death and into light. I'm so glad that He's a part of that, and I love all of that, but those are the really big deals today. Like, that's the really big thing that's taking place that you're invited to know, and you're invited to be a part of it. When God was inviting uh, Paul the Apostle to this, right at his conversion, right at the very beginning when he gets saved, God invited him into this. And as Paul was recounting his testimony later before Agrippa in Acts 26, he says it this way where he says that God speaks to him and says, I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Hey, it was a good invitation. It was God's call on the Apostles Paul's life, and he does it. But it's God's invitation to you. That he says, I'm going to send you. I'm going to send you. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. I'm sending you into this world. I'm sending you in this world that you could be a part of this, seeing people go from darkness to light to seeing that shattered, scary place they'd go from, the, that they'd go away from the power of Satan, that they'd go into the power of God, that there they'll find forgiveness and have this eternal inheritance. That's what God is doing in this world. And that's what we get to be invited to be a part of, to just be just in step with what God is actually doing in our world today. And maybe you are. Maybe I'm doing nothing but just telling you what you already know. But again, I just know this. For some of you, you know it, but you just don't know it. You know it in your head, but you don't know it in your life. It's not, how, it's, not how you, it's not how you're processing what's happening in our world. It's not how you're processing what God's doing in your life, and he's inviting you into that space that we would be a part of that. So let's do this. You can close your Bibles, notebooks, and we're going to take a moment to pray. And we're going to ask that God would draw us into step with us. I want to begin by just saying, maybe it's you. Maybe you're here this morning that you don't yet believe in Jesus. You're perishing and Satan is doing everything he can to blind you from seeing it. I wonder if you've seen it. I wonder if you've seen it. I find myself thinking of Philip, the disciple, who Peter and Andrew, you know, kind of sharing with and they're kind of telling him about Jesus and he kind of just tosses out, you know, can anything good come out of Nazareth? You know, it's like, you know, it really kind of the, one of the lies that was permeating even in that place that would have kept him. And they just simply said, hey, come and see. Hey, just come and see. Hey, step out into the light. Come see for yourself. And I want to tell you this morning, if that's you and you have questions and you're still confused, I just invite you to come and see. I want to invite you to, to turn and see the light of the gospel, of the glory of God in Christ. And I tell you, it, it is transforming. He'll save you. And today, if that's you, in a quiet moment, we're just going to ask you, just ask God for that. Ask him just to rescue your soul and bring you into that. Hey, after the service, you can come up and talk to us. We'd love to do that. But it's a good space for you to do that. Leaving you in God's care. I know I'm speaking to many of you who are followers of Jesus. And in some ways, I have said stuff that for many of you, you already knew. But I want to come back and say it again. For some of us, we know it, but we don't know it. What is God wanting you to know? What in this right now is not affecting the way you're viewing the world? What is it that he would invite you to say, hey, do you see it? Do you see we have an enemy that's trying to keep people from Jesus? Do you, do you see our, our place in the body of Christ to shine for Jesus? Do you see that God is working and nothing can stop him from working? I don't know where that is going to draw you into this reality of the gospel here this morning, but I invite you to it. Just between you and the Lord, whatever that he's, he's speaking to you, that he would draw you into what that is. So would you take a quiet moment? It's a quiet moment for you just to talk to God, just right where you are before we close, that whatever he's trying to just push it into your heart, you would begin to process with him. So you do that quietly, I'll do the same, and we'll close in worship in just a moment.
God, thank you for your word that just speaks the truth to us. We've walked around words and phrases in these few verses, and yet I just, I'm amazed. I'm amazed at how well, how beautifully you've placed it. Think of even the phrase of the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And wow, amazing. God, I do simply ask that you would draw to yourself, even in this space, those who would be saved. And then I ask that you'd strengthen the hands and hearts of those of us who are yours, that we would shine better, more brightly, that we would be those who want to step more towards you, Jesus, more to, to, to just being transformed and changed in this relationship that we have in you. For our enjoyment, yes, but for the light that would be seen around us more, that the gospel, the gospel light would be shining as a lighthouse in a dark and dying world, that we would be a part of that light that is inviting and drawing people to salvation. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the beauty of the gospel. Thank you for the effectiveness, and we just recognize how real, how powerful, and, and how that's the battle of the age. God, today we, we joy in what you're doing, taking confidence in you, and thank you. Thank you for the glorious gospel of Christ. We honor you right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If after the service here you want to talk to us again, if it's time to surrender your life to Jesus, if you have questions, we are here. We'd love to be a part of that. You can make your way up after the service. But right now we want to close in worship. So why don't you guys all stand if you can, if you're able. We invite you to worship with us and, and just to make God your focus. We're going to sing a song we haven't sung here before. It's new for us, but it celebrates that which we've been talking about all morning, this glorious gospel, the one and only gospel for the whole world that that would be known in and through us. May he just resonate that through us and help us to walk in that. In that place, I just want to take a moment and bless you in God's name. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.